So it's nice to be with you in the middle of Melbourne today. Um, a few weeks ago, some of you may know that that our, our house burnt down, and um, so at the moment we're just getting bits sorted out. And and Jean Haas said, I said to Jean Haas, um, I know I made a date to come into the city, but I'm an old-fashioned person. I don't do all the stuff that you know put it in my electronic diaries and things. I just have a paper diary. And I write everything in there. And on Sunday nights, I updated everything in the diary. And guess what? Diary went. I didn't have a clue what I'd said yes to, what I said no to. There's something a little bit freeing about that in some ways. And, um, and I said to Jean, I don't even know what day I said I was coming. And she said, oh, you're, you're coming on um, May 8. But you don't have to. And I'm like, no, 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 I want to, if you don't mind, because I enjoy coming to see you guys in the city. And I don't think it's an understatement when I say one of the most important things happening in the Adventist Church in Australia at the moment happens here. Why? Because the potential for this church here to impact people in this part of Melbourne is amazing. I have a bit of a... a I guess because the story of the Adventist Church starts in Melbourne on these very streets, walking up and down these very roads that you guys walk up and down, I think it's wonderful that we're here and you guys are walking the same spots. And um, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. I know you've been going through um, the Pioneer series, the Angel Said Australia series, and looking at our story. So we're just going to talk about our story for a little while this morning. I won't tell you the same stories, but I will cover a couple of those points. Um, this afternoon, with going for a walk, um, are we going to walk your legs off? No. Are we going to do the whole walk? No. I will give you the map for the whole walk. There's three walks that Amanda actually put together, working with Tony Knight. They come in and mapped it all out. And um, so this afternoon, we'll just do the first little bit where we head down to um, Helping Hands Mission is where we'll stop first of all. Um, the Helping Hands Mission building's not there anymore. But one of the most amazing things that I think the Adventists did in Melbourne, 1898 through to 1907, um, what would happen over 100 people a night? It was men um, who were without work at that stage. Um, if you were without work, if you were struggling, then you would come to the Helping Hands Mission, which was run by the Adventist churches of the Melbourne city at that stage. There was a few congregations set up around here. And it was all volunteers apart from one person who they paid to look after. But it was all Adventist volunteers who would feed these men, who would give these men a bed, who would look after them. And um, we ran that until we got the idea that we should all shift out to Warburton. And we somewhat abandoned the city a little bit, well, a lot. And the Salvation Army took over Helping Hands Mission, but we'll stop past there. We'll stop past the Temperance Hall where Corliss ran his meeting where he didn't think things were going to work. Um, we'll then head to the Treasury Gardens where um, the tract on the picket fence story. Um, we'll, we'll go to, to that spot um, where, well, there's a couple of options for spots. And we can tell you the other option, but the most likely option is the one we'll go to. And so we'll only do the first part down to here. We won't drag you across to Richmond, even though wonderful things happen in Richmond. Um, and But I will give you the maps and you will have the little codes that tell you everything else that happened. So you can wander around Richmond and the North Fitzroy um, tour where you can see where Sanitarium got started. Um, a whole lot of other things going on around that part. But um, So it won't be, a, won't be an intense walk. It'll just be a leisurely walk, but it'll be interesting just to think what happened there and what that means for us. Because stories are important, and we're part of a story. 
Um, whether it's the story of God's working throughout all of Scripture and what part we play in that, or whether it's the story of how the Christian church, through various parts of um, the Reformation, and we trace our, our story into there, or whether it's the Adventist story and the unique mission that we believe we're called to and what that part of the story means for us. Knowing our story is important. We live in a world where we get removed from our stories. And consumerism and advertising tells you your own little story. It says, live for your story. And it removes us from the stories of us. It removes us from the stories of our history. It removes us from the stories of who we are. It removes us from stories of community. So I want to locate us in that story and what part you play in that story. First of all, So Gina mentioned that you've gone through some of these stories. Just let me get the clicker working. Yep. So does anyone remember the name of this guy? If you can read really well, you'll get the answer off the screen. Does anyone remember the name of the guy who turned up here from America? The guy who put the tract on the picket fence? Do you remember his name? John Corliss. You win a prize. You might already have this, but he actually funded the book. <laughs> and so, so yes, yeah, so the Angel Said Australia series, and thank you for, I'm going to say, thank you, SPD, for funding. Um, they gave the, the funding to get this whole history project as part of our next generation project, so we know our stories. So John Corliss. But let me wind back a bit. So it's 1878. And when you're in Battle Creek in Michigan and Ellen White is presenting a week of prayer talks at the, the publishing house in Battle Creek, Michigan. And so one night she's presenting and sitting behind her on this side is her husband, James White. So Ellen White, being a pioneer of the Adventist church, probably our principal pioneer and prophet, sitting here is James White. Sitting here is Stephen Haskell. And... Ellen White's talking about how the Adventist message, the message of Jesus' return, the message that, that we, this holistic message that includes Sabbath and health, she's saying this message has to go beyond North America. And she said an angel came to her in vision and showed her lights across the planet of where the Adventist church had to go to and where sparks would turn into flames and where we would light up the world. So... She's talking about this vision, and Stephen Haskell leans across to James White. He says, James, do you know any of the countries we're supposed to go to? And James says, no, I don't even heard her talk about this. And so they stop Ellen. And James White says, Ellen, did the angel say any particular country? you know the answer? The answer was no. Save but one. The angel said, Australia. And now here you and I, and I know that some of you come from different parts of the world and you weren't born in Australia or for whatever reason, you're here now. And I don't believe you just turn up randomly into spots. I think the angel still calls people to Australia and I still think we have this mission 
And you're called to be part of a mission that's not just any organization or any community. You're called to be part of the greatest thing going on on the planet at the moment, and that's the mission of Christ, and that's bringing people into a relationship with Christ because that matters for eternity. So at that point, Stephen Haskell, he's like, I want to be part of this. I'm going to Australia. It took another seven years for them to get organized and get things in place. And this first story, which we won't go through the whole story, but that's them arriving in Melbourne. They, they were in Sydney, first of all. They landed in Sydney, but they left there after a few days. Why? Why would you stop in Sydney and go, hey, we're off to Melbourne, guys? Because it's the most livable city on the planet. Because it's got AFL. Um, just let me tell you, the Richmond Football Club and the Adventist Church started in the same suburb in the same year in Australia. It's worth remembering. And if you look at my socks, it says Richmond 1885. If anyone in a quiz somewhere, if you're ever in a quiz and they say, where was the first Sabbath school held in Australia and what year? You'll know the answer. Because you'll go Richmond 1885 and you'll be right. So they came to Melbourne because it had bigger libraries. And the gold rush was on and people were coming from all around the world and they're going, Melbourne's the place we'll go to because if they've got bigger libraries, they're more likely to read and they were ready to publish. They bought the latest technology with them. They bought a coal porter with them. They bought a publishing director with them and they bought an evangelist with them. So they had Israel and Arnold and J.O. Corliss and Stephen Haskell and their children. And so the 12 of them all turn up at Hyatt Street in Richmond. On the map, you can walk to that very house. The house is still there. Um, 4864, they changed numbers somewhere along the way. Anyway, Amanda's got it right on the map there. So you can walk and see the house. Two-bedroom house, 12 of them living there. That's where the very first Sabbath school, we'll walk past that spot this afternoon. It doesn't look like that anymore. Wish it did. But we'll walk past that spot. They're in their tent missions. But things weren't working. As you'll know the story, Corliss wrote back to America and said, the weather is bleak, July in Melbourne, the weather is bleak, people are bleak, I don't think we'll start a church here. And you can just imagine his despondency when he's thinking, I came here because the angels said Australia, yet here I am, wondering how we're going to make this work. No one is even taking their tracks. It said they're blowing down the street like leaves of autumn. And you'll know the story. On a wet July afternoon, and you've, I know Gina told you this story. You get to hear the story again, because guess what? My mum used to tell me this story over and over and over again. My mum used to tell us all these Adventist pioneer stories and would just tell us over and over and over. On a wet July afternoon... Corliss is handing out his tracks. No one's taken them. We're going to walk to this spot this afternoon. There's not a picket fence there anymore, unfortunately. But he takes his last track, puts it on the picket fence. There, read that one. WHB Miller pulls the tract off the fence. If you go out to Science Publishing, by the way, they've got a, on the wall, they've got all these pictures of people who have been the, the um, leaders of Science Publishing. His picture's on there. WHB Miller pulls off the tract decides this is a really good topic to debate at his debating society about Sabbath, knocks on the door at High Street, Richmond, says to Corliss, did you write the tract? Well, I, I distributed the tract. Will you come to the debating society and coach the team that are going to argue for Sabbath? And yes, he did. 
And that night he coached that team. After the debate, they all sat around and said, we've never heard this stuff. He gave them a Bible study to the wee hours of the morning. And I always look at Amanda for this number. It's 17 of them because she knows all the numbers. She did all the research. 17 people of that debating society became the first Adventist congregation in Australia. And we've been debating ever since, by the way. So, so why am I telling you that story? Because when you're at your least, God can bear his most. And when you think it's not working, God has other plans. And when you're thinking the weather is bleak, the people is bleak, don't think we'll start a church here, then you need to realize that God has bigger plans in store than might be your little plans. And when you think of what might be your tracked on the picket fence moment, you might be sitting up late cutting crafts for the kids at the table there. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it because you don't know what's a wet tract on a picket fence. When you're working, putting time and effort into this community and you're thinking, has it made any difference yet? Yes, it's worth it because this is the greatest thing going on on the planet is the cause of Christ and his community and you're part of that and so when you pour your effort and energy into making this a more effective community is that worth it yeah it's worth it you might know not know how worth it it is until you get to eternity and you might not know how many wet tracks you left on picket fences but at times when you walk off in despondency thinking I'm done I've had enough Just stop and think that this is not any organization. And when you're at your least crisis, that is most. So what's the name of the guy who put the track on the picket fence? Corliss. And then the story continues on. We'll just speed through a couple of quick ones because I want to get to this. So Stephen Haskell went back to New Zealand. So he went across there. We'll go through the New Zealand story. Won't tell that story too much. You've told that story. You didn't do New Zealand. That's okay. New Zealand, another day. But amazing story. Do you know, a really quick, I can talk really fast when I need to. A really quick New Zealand part. So Stephen Haskell, he jumps back on a ship to Auckland. Why? Because when they were coming across from America, they'd stopped in Auckland. They'd had a what, 12-hour stopover. They'd walked around town. Guess what he saw? Big libraries. Wow, big libraries. I'm going to head back there. He gets a boarding house in Turner Street, Auckland, belonged to Edward Hare. The ship captain said, go and see this man stay there. He stays there. At night time, there's late clicking sounds into the night time, and he talks to himself. People in the boarding house said to Edward Hare, this guy, the reverend they call him, nice bloke, but he talks to himself all night, and he makes strange clicking sounds. So Edward Hare went up to the door and listened. What's going on? And he heard the clicking sounds, but he heard Stephen Haskell praying for every person in that boarding house by name, praying for the people of Auckland, praying for New Zealand, that they would come to understand more about Jesus and the Adventist message. So the next day he comes up and says to to Haskell, hey, um, lovely you're here. I heard you praying for us. What's the clicking sound? Haskell shows Edward Hare, the very first typewriter in New Zealand. Edward Hare became the owner of the second typewriter in New Zealand. More importantly, he gave him the page out of it, which was about the Sabbath, he takes, Edward Hare takes it up to Kayo, to his dad's property, the Hare family. His dad was um, the leader of the congregation up there. They got excited about it. Robert Hare, Edward's brother, gets so excited that he dumps his girlfriend, by the way, runs off to America and becomes the first Adventist trained pastor from this part of the world. Comes back and lives in Melbourne, just across this side. His house is on the, on the map. I mean, North Fitzroy, and did amazing stuff throughout Australia and New Zealand. 
but it all starts there with technology, great. Latest thing was a typewriter, and you might have the best technology, but prayer still matters. Technology and prayer. Use your technology, yes, but pray for people. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the people around you. You covered this one? Yep, so we won't spend too much on this one because this is the Steed, Steed store in Adelaide. And there's the town hall where Corliss goes across. He stopped at Ballarat then, Adelaide, ran a mission. Um, a lady, a midwife, invited Julia Steed to the mission. Um, they owned a painting and decorating store in Norwood and um, very comfortable. Goes to the mission. She says to her husband, um, Joseph Steed, you need to come and listen to this message. It wasn't until years later that Joseph Steed finally gets baptised and decides this really matters. A comfortable existence in Adelaide in his business. Instead, he trades it for a bike, rides to Broken Hill. Adelaide to Broken Hill, selling books all along the way. And um, the stories of him drawing the statue out of Daniel 2 in the driveway of farms where the wife and husband, if the husband was back off the farm yet, he said, no, I can't come inside, but I will draw some stuff in the, in the dust on, on the road. Um, Julia Steed has her babies out in a tent in Broken Hill. Amazing story. I won't go through the whole story now. But most of the churches that were planted in the South Australian end of the Murray River started with Joseph Steed. Did not just paddling his bike. He went off to Samoa, by the way, and it started the Adventist Church in Samoa in between. Comes back, gets a boat called the Herald. It's not a steamboat. It's a pedal power boat. And he pedaled that boat up and down the river. So he's been pedaling bikes around South Australia. Now he's pedaling boats. Um, you imagine he's going to have pretty good legs. He'd stop at little towns, do Bible studies. Um, Captain Broderick off the Murrah bit, he, he became an Adventist, gave land to the Murray Bridge Church, which is still there today, still the same, same land. So Joseph and Julia Steed, um, amazing story. An amazing story of giving up comfort to serve God. Comfortable life in Adelaide as a painter, decorator, or riding your bike and pedaling your boat giving up comfort because he was captured by a greater vision. He was captured something more important. Did we talk about Tasmania? No, we'll talk about Tasmania another day. Another exciting story. Did you talk about Big Lizzie? Yeah, you did talk about Big Lizzie because have, has any, anyone ever been up to Mildura? You haven't been to Mildura? Okay, you're going to have to organise a church tour to Mildura because Mil- Mildura is where I come from. Amazing place. Uh, but as you drive through Red Cliffs, coming to Mildura, you see this great big engine, a great big tractor. Um, and I won't go through the whole story, but it's about Frank Bottrell, who became an Adventist here. Um, that's where he met Margaret at a mission. Uh, Robert Hare was speaking at the mission, and that's where he became an Adventist. But he wanted to get this traction engine into Broken Hill. He was, he'd been working in the mines up at Broken Hill. He wanted to get the traction engine into Broken Hill. He built the great thing over here in Richmond, clumped out Punt Road. Imagine this great big thing. It laid its own tracks, but it was not successful at all. He couldn't get it across the Murray to Chuka or at Swan Hill or at Mildura. People laughed at this great big thing. It ended up clearing land for returned soldiers. But at the end, in Glen Denning, he left it. He walked away from it, rusted. On Sabbath, Margaret and Frank used to run Sabbath school on the back of this traction engine. And the farmers would come in and they would listen to Frank and Margaret. And guess what? If you trace the history of the churches through that region, whether it be Dayton, whether it be Mildura, whether it were the Redcliffs at the time, or coming down through northwest Victoria, you'll trace it to a great big traction engine. They walked off and left it rusted. I think they'd be surprised to come back now and find it all restored, sitting in Barclay Square and Redcliffs. I think they'd be amazed to go, there it is. 
the traction engine that was a failure, the traction engine that people laughed at, the traction engine said, what's this great big contraption? Guess what? God uses failures. And it might not work out how you planned it. And you might not get your traction engine to broken hill and cart all the wheat that you were wanting to cart to save the camels doing it. You might not achieve what you thought you were achieving. But God achieved bigger things on a failed traction engine. God planted churches with it. And so when you think, this is not working like it's meant to. God, why haven't you worked it out this way? I think when I get to heaven and I find Frank and Margaret Bottrell, it's going to be, guys, look what happened because of your traction engine. And when he's clumping that great thing, big thing out of Melbourne, trying to get it to Broken Hill, we probably never realized it was going to be a church planting tractor. That's Margaret starting the Denton Church. Um, that's the church I grew up in, by the way. And so she put the foundation stone for that. And you told the Bubsy story. Won't do the Bubsy story today, but that's an amazing story in itself. The first car, Citroen 5CV, the first car to go all the way around Australia was Neville Westwood and Greg Davis. Um, Adventist coal porters selling books as they went. That's an amazing story. But I do want to tell you a couple of different stories before I move on to finish up with what it means for us. Grace Atwell. Has anyone ever heard of Grace Atwell? No, most people haven't. Amanda has spent many hours trying to research more information about Grace Atwell. Why? We know she was a teenager or in her late teens when she shifted from New Zealand. She became an Adventist at a Robert Hare mission in New Zealand. She shifted to Sydney. Were there any Adventists in Sydney at that time? No. Um, It turns out that soon after, another Adventist lady from New Zealand shifted into the Hills District of Sydney, but Grace Atwell shifted into Ashfield and to look after her sick dad. So she shifted to Australia to look after her sick dad. She started a Sabbath school in her street. In fact, she started several Sabbath schools. And she wrote letters to the team down in Melbourne saying, I need someone to come here. I have all these Sabbath schools running. And they wrote back, we don't have time to go there yet. And so this teenage girl just kept starting Sabbath schools. And eventually Israel arrives in, in, um, in Sydney and Haskell comes back from Auckland and they come to Sydney. And Stephen Haskell writes back to, to America and you can see the letter. And he talks about Grace Atwell. And he says, a woman of finer character I, I've never met. And sings her praises highly of Grace Atwell. What became of her after that? Well, it's hard to find out. There's a few threads that Amanda's been trying to follow and work out what happens next. It looks like she had five kids. That'll slow anyone down, by the way. But a girl who starts Sabbath school in her street, can God use teenage girls looking after sick dads? Yeah. The Adventist church starts in Sydney because this girl is impacting the people that she comes into contact with. So that starts church in Sydney. I want to go back to New Zealand for one last story before I cover a couple of other things. Anyone know who this lady is? No? Well, she's one of the, well, the only Adventists who gets into the Encyclopedia of New Zealand people. Uh, this, her name is Margaret Caro. C-A-R-O, like the drink you drink. Margaret Caro. And Margaret is an interesting lady. She was six foot, by the way. She married a Polish Jewish guy who was a, a doctor. Now she became New Zealand's first female dentist. 
And um, one of the more famous things she did was remove Ellen White's last teeth. Um, she took the last... So Ellen White was in Wellington and she caught the train down from Napier and Ellen White said, I'll trust you to take my teeth. Ellen White couldn't have anaesthetic because she had bad reactions to it. And Margaret Carr said, I don't, I'm not comfortable doing this. And Ellen White says, well, you're the one I'm trusting to do this. So eight teeth? Yeah, she pulled eight of Ellen White's teeth. So um, there you go. So she was a dentist. Um, she actually was the only woman to attend the New Zealand Dental Association meetings and there's stories about her and you can read a whole book about her dentistry. There's stories about her and she turns up to these um, big association meetings and she's the only woman there. But she used to go around the various little towns in South New Zealand um, pulling teeth and her husband would be stitching wounds, doing amazing things. She also started the Bethany House. Bethany House was for females who'd come out of prison and so she started a home for females who come out of prison and lots of women were looked after there. She also started another spot for alcoholic men who had been abusing their wives so she could get them off alcohol and try and stop the abuse. Um, she also she did all kinds of amazing things. She ran the Vegetarian Society of New Zealand. She was involved with getting the vote for females. New Zealand was the first country on the to, to have females vote. She was one of the people who was instrumental in getting that reform and so Margaret Caro a Seventh-day Adventist lady um, without starting too many debates and we won't go into too much but she had, she has an ordination certificate and her name was on a registered list of ordained ministers at the general conference but that goes into a whole different track we won't go down today but that's Margaret Caro um, quite quite an amazing lady who did what she could with what she had was she trained as a dentist? No, this was before training happened. But she put the training program in place for dentists in New Zealand. And when you look at what she contributed, she did what she could. I wanted to, I want to go to one more pioneer before I go to Hebrews. Talking about people who far away from home, who feel a call to Australia... Does God still call people to Australia? Does the angel still, still say Australia? Well, for this couple, yes. Let me tell you about this couple. So there's this the young guy on the, the right-hand side. He could have been a dentist, apparently. And his dad still thinks he should be a dentist, I think. But he felt a call to something more significant. And he ends up in Melbourne with a passion for the people of Melbourne finding out about Jesus. Uh, the lady in the picture, you may have met her, um, has the superpower for preaching according to, to and I, I would agree. But once again, far away from home, from where family is, because they feel a calling to Melbourne. And I think it's the repeat of a story that you're already familiar with of people far away from home who sense God's calling, who sense God's leading and have a passion for the people of this city and walking the very same streets that Haskell and Corliss and Israel and these guys who wanted, was it worth it? I think if Haskell and Corliss and Israel could march in here this morning, they'd be absolutely staggered and amazed 
And they'll be going, it's worth it, guys. This is worth it because you're giving your life to the thing that got our hearts beating faster. And the reason why we jumped on a ship in America to spread light across here because the angels said Australia and little dots of light in Ellen White's vision, she saw little dots of light landing everywhere. The dot of light in Melbourne is you guys. It's not necessarily this building. It's this community of people. And it's where you interact, it's where you're studying, it's where you're working, it's where you're walking across parks, it's where you're interacting with neighbours. That's the dots of light. These guys, sometimes the weather bleak and sometimes the people bleak and some people, sometimes they think we're not going to start a church here. Sometimes are they thinking, is this worth it? Sometimes they're leaving wet tracks on picket fences and walking home thinking, what did we do that for? I don't want to put thoughts in their minds, but sometimes late at night after a board meeting, do you think, what are we doing here? Gina probably doesn't want to say this, but I know that there's calls to America often, including Dwight Nelson's church, which anyone else in the world would want to grab and run. She doesn't cut and run. Why? Because there's a calling here. And I know that both these guys, I see different opportunities come along where other people think, well, that's a different role in the system. I could do that and I'd probably have less hassles. But for whatever reason, that's not what they do because they feel called to this and this city. And I think what's going on here, as I said at the start, one of the most amazing things going on in Australia is happening here. Because this is light to to the city so what's your story and what part do you play in the story when you think of the big story and go beyond you think of the big story the writer of hebrews after he's talked about a better faith and a better plan and what we have in christ he gets to hebrews 11 and he starts going through the pioneers of faith For him, he's talking about Noah by faith. He's talking about Abel by faith. He's talking about the faith of Abraham. And he's going through generation after generation. He's talking about Jacob. He's talking about Moses. And he's talking about by faith, each of them did these amazing things. He gets to verse 13. And he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. So say all these people, and he talks about the tribulations that they struggled and the things that happened to them. He said, by faith, he said, they did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So he said, there's promises out there. There's a different way of doing life. He's talking about heaven. He says, They only saw it out there. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So you see, by faith, all of these people, they're longing for something bigger and something better. He said, a heavenly hope. He said, they realized that they were strangers in this world. They realized that they'd have struggles in this world. But he said they had a different, they were living with different glasses on. 
He goes on to give list lots more. And then as he gets to the end of Hebrews 11, he said, what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell all the stories of faith. He says, he starts telling more of them. He says, there's people who had quenched the fury of flames. They escaped at the edge of swords, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle. And he says, women received back their dead. They raised to life again. There were the others who were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by sword. He goes on and on talking about all these people. He says, you look at their little stories and you think, was it worth it? He say, it was worth it because they gave their life to a bigger vision and a bigger picture. They realized this world was not their home. They realized there was a bigger mission going on. And they realized by faith there's a better place. And so Hebrews 11 is all about, he's telling the stories. And he says, but there's a bigger story. And he gets to Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12, he goes, there's all these stories, but God's still writing stories, and you're part of the story. Therefore, in Hebrews 12, he goes, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and that that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He calls him the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary, that you will not lose heart. Guess what? The next part of the story, my guess is that when we get to heaven... And there's lots of people we're going to meet, but I'm looking forward to meeting Corliss and having a chat to Corliss, and I'm looking forward to meeting all these people we've had stories about. But I think they're going to say, so what happened next? They walked around Melbourne, the only Adventists here initially, thinking, what's going on? Is it worth it? What happened next? Well, there's an exciting story of what the Adventist Church does in Australia. And the next chapter of that story is you guys. You're part of this exciting story, doing what you can, leveraging what you can, using your gifts, using your talents, using your time, using your energy, using the resources at your disposal, which belong to God anyway, to be a community that shines a light in Melbourne. And in the dark spaces of Melbourne, the angel still says Australia and still puts dots of light, and that's you. And you belong to a bigger story. Sure, you we can get caught up in all these stories that surround us and advertising tells us to give our lives to this and put our energy into that. But there's a bigger story going on. It's the Jesus story. It's the story of serving rather than trying to be served. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of compassion. It's a story of putting others ahead of yourself. You imagine a community of people who live out the Jesus story. You imagine a community of people who do life differently because we're following Christ. And it's not just the philosophy. It's a relationship with the God of the universe who wants to work in and through you, who gifts you, who calls you to make a difference. And so whatever energy you put into this church plant, just know it's worth it. 
And you might not know how worth it it is. And you might be sitting there going, I pour so much energy into this church plant and we've got the same number of people next week as we had last week, as we had last month. Are we making a difference? It might be the wet track on a picket fence. It might be you walking away from dreams that you had but now look like failures. But I can promise you that God can use every ounce of energy for his glory. And it is about him. And when you're at your least, God can be at its most. And I don't think it's an understatement to say that when we get to heaven, we'll be able to sit around and talk with Corliss and Israel and Haskell and they will talk about Melbourne and we'll talk about Melbourne and we'll be able to talk about how God moved in Melbourne and you'll be able to talk about we're in the middle of Collins Street, we did this and we tried that and we looked after homeless people. They go, we looked after homeless people, we did this and that and something else. And we'll be able to look at Jesus and know it was for the cause of Christ that we're building biblical communities that transform people into relationships with one another and more importantly with Christ. Will it be worth it? Hebrews 11 says it's worth it. It's worth giving your life to that vision. It's worth realizing there's a greater cause to get involved with and pour your energy and heart into. And I look at pioneers like Roy and Jean Huff from the other side of the planet, far away from home. And you inspire me because you can see that you've given your life to the cause of Christ. And some of us are called to be pastors. Some of us are called to be engineers on tractors. Some of us are called to be dentists. Some of us are called to be all kinds of different things. But all of us are called to give our life for the cause of Christ and be a shining light in Australia, or in this case, be a shining light in the middle of Melbourne. Let me say a prayer for you. Dear Lord, as we come to you now, Let me just thank you for people who inspire us and we thank you for the way you've led in our church to this point. But the next chapter is right here and the people who are writing that next chapter are sitting in this room at the moment. And we just pray that what happens in Melbourne will will be bringing glory to you, that we'll allow you to work in and through us, that that this community of believers will be a shining light in the darkness of Melbourne and give hope in hopelessness and and, serve this community and and show people your hands and your feet and your love. And... um, May this city be a brighter place because you've planted this church here. May you continue to guide and bless. May we allow you to work in and through us. Amen.